Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today I am very pleased to introduce to you the amazing Jen T. Grace. Jen is an award-winning author, a nationally recognized speaker, and a savvy publishing strategist. She's the founder of Publish Your Purpose, an acclaimed hybrid publishing company that gives first-time authors the secrets to getting their books written, finding an eager audience, and making their place in the publishing world. Publish Your Purpose is a certified B Corp social enterprise, and that means it meets the gold standard of socially and environmentally friendly business practices. Jen has published books of nearly 100 business owners, entrepreneurs, speakers, and memoirists so that more diverse stories can exist in the world and her authors can make a positive impact and achieve the recognition and success they deserve. She herself is the author of six books, including her memoir, House on Fire. Jen has been featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, The Wall Street Journal, and CNBC. And today... I'm very excited to share with you this conversation that uh, Jen and I had, which is focused on something that she and I both agree is a huge issue in the publishing industry. And it is the, the fact that there are a lot of companies who pose as hybrid publishers when in fact, what they're really doing is frankly taking advantage of unsuspecting, generally first-time authors. And we go into great detail about some of the warning signs that you might be uh, contemplating entering a relationship that could turn out to be have a very negative impact on you, both financially and in terms of your intellectual property. And so Jen and I today are going to discuss her list of the nine questions that you must ask any publisher, by the way, including traditional publishers, including hybrid presses, including self-publishing book packaging services. These are nine questions that you need to ask to make sure that you are not only going to get a book, you're going to get a book that is done to a standard of excellence and that you are not inadvertently signing away your rights or other things that could impede you in moving forward towards your dreams. So this is going to be a tremendously valuable episode, and I hope that you get as much out of it as I did. So Jen, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you for having me. I'm, I've really been looking forward to this conversation in particular, so thank you. Yes, and I have too. And and thank you, right? Because we are so clearly of the same mind and spirit when it comes to 
wanting really to help authors avoid predatory situations when it comes to a publisher. Because, you know, we all know that there's really great people in the industry and there's, you know, people who are really just interested in profiting off of hopeful authors who, you know, have all kinds of big dreams and they're very willing to just kind of lead them astray, Mm -hmm. uh, making them think that their dreams are coming true when really they're just taking them a lot, taking them for a ride. And so I know that you have this incredible list of questions that any wannabe author should ask before they get into an engagement with a publisher. But before we get into those, tell me a little bit about what led you to create the list in the first place. Oh, it's such a tell great our question. listeners. <laughs> yes. I am of the I like to be efficient. And so when I started to recognize the pattern of how people were getting most taken advantage of, I thought how can I be more efficient in getting this message out there and let me package them together in some cohesive way that can be a tool for an aspiring author to say, I'm having this conversation with a publisher. Now I have these nine questions that I can think through and I can just point blank ask them to get a better sense of, is this going to be the right publishing path and partner for me? And so it really came out of just, I'm genuinely one of the most efficient people is what I hear all the time from others. And so it was just more so like I could just spend a few minutes writing an email, giving them the list. I could spend, you know, go on a, you know, have a conversation like this and say, Hey, go listen to this conversation. But the combination of being here's, here's a good podcast I was on that talks about this, which is you're going to be, this is going to be my new resource, by the way. (laughs) And then also here's this guy that you can physically print out and have in front of you when you're having that conversation. So truly, it just came down to how can I help people in a bigger way and just be efficient while doing it? Yeah. And what one thing I really love about the list is this list applies regardless of which publishing path you're on. So whether you're, see, whether you're engaged in a conversation around a traditional book deal with a traditional publisher where you're getting an advance or a hybrid publisher or a vanity press, or if you're just going to a book packager, I think that these questions are so highly relevant and you really will get what you, you know, when you, I looked at this list and I'm just like in love with it because I know if you ask these nine questions, you are going to get the answers you need to be able to make a, an informed decision. Uh, That is the key word. Informed. Yes, an informed choice, right? Because mm-hmm. too often people go in not really understanding what they're agreeing to, and that can that can create all kinds of problems. You know, actually, now that I'm springing that up, I think maybe before we get to the list, and I don't mean to be withholding it because I, I want to <laughs> make sure we have time for all of it, but it occurs to me to let's have you talk a little bit about some of the problems that people can face if they're not asking the right questions, because this is, you know, this can have a major impact. It really can, because I think what happens, and you said hopeful when when you were first kind of teeing this up, hopeful authors, right? And so I think when we have, and I'm an author myself, so I feel like when we have that dream of publishing our book, a lot of times our we're operating from our emotional center and we're not operating from any logical center. And that's how, you know, a lot of buying decisions are made and things like that. And so we're operating out of emotions and there might be this publisher who has presented themselves to you, whether you were connected to them or whether you saw an ad online, wherever it might be. 
And you are so coming from that emotional standpoint of feeling like, wow, I'm being seen. And this publisher is taking interest in my work. And regardless of what that path might look like, you feel really good because someone's taking interest in, in what you're doing. And that feels great. But then what happens is that we're not actually critically thinking of, well, what does this contractual arrangement actually mean for me? So where this shows up the most is in the contractual arrangement. So the nine questions cover some bigger picture things, but there's a number of them that specifically cover the contract. And so I tell people Mm -hmm. all the time, because what happens often with me is that I have a friend who will say, or any assortment of friends who will say, you know, my friend just signed this contract with insert any number of known names here. And I feel like something's off, but I don't know what it is about it being off. Can you just do me a favor and talk to them? And I will absolutely reach out and say, just send me the contract. I can tell you exactly where the problem's going to be within a millisecond. And I always do. And then they're like, oh my God, I didn't even look there. It's because we're trained as a society to not actually look at the fine print. No Mm -hmm. one wants you looking there because when you do... That's where the, where the right that's where the is uncovered. right yeah. exactly exactly yeah and I mean some of the impacts that can occur is you can lose your copyright to your own work you can be put in a situation where you're forced to buy back thousands of copies of your own book on top of paying for production or sometimes you know it offsets they if they offer you an advance and then they turn around and charge insist yeah. that you buy a book. So, you know, these can have major financial impacts, mm-hmm. major impacts on your intellectual property and your ability to utilize your own intellectual property. And those are just a couple of things that I'm aware of. What's something else that I didn't mention that that you see as something that, that, that could be an impact if you're not paying attention and really aware of what you're signing? So like you said, there's the right side of it. There's certainly kind of the royalty side of it. Um, yes, yes, definitely. I think that's another kind of piece of it too, is because again, there's just, there's either a lack of information or misinformation out there. There, It's just very, a lot of gray area, which obviously the predators are going to love because they want the gray area because the less you know, the better for them. And the more mm-hmm. informed of a consumer you are, the worse, because they're going to be like, why would I do this? But I right. think when we think about even just something as simple as the royalties on the surface, you would imagine if I'm paying a upfront fee for something, or like if I'm paying a high upfront fee for a service, I shouldn't be paying a high royalty as well. There should be some kind of balance in the, in the, the publishers who are operating ethically and with integrity absolutely have a good balance there. So like, it's something as simple as that, where you're like, all right, I, you know, I paid this this higher fee up front, and now I'm just going to sign the dotted line, but I didn't actually look, oh, they actually, they're taking 85% of my royalties. Right. And then right. you've already and signed I the contract. Them, and I paid them $25,000 to produce my book. Exactly. Right. We call that double dipping just mm-hmm. for our listeners. That's called double dipping. Yeah. Yeah. In the publishing industry, it's, it's supposed to be, like you said, more balanced. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah. that's a really, really important point. I really, And then the other thing too, is sometimes they'll try to upsell you into things that sound valuable, but actually aren't. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's certainly that. And sometimes they will be upselling you on something that should just be fundamentally included in what yes. you're doing, such as oh, give me an example. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
You would imagine, right, that you are working with a publisher that they were going to edit your manuscript. That is not always true. A lot of times the only thing that's included is proofreading. And then you, the author, have to go out and either procure your own editor or you have to work with whatever editor. And now the editor's price might be the exact same amount that you've already paid for your contract. And you're like, how did I just end up paying double? And it's, right. it's things like this. So we have to really look at that fine print because you never know what's lurking beneath. But at the same time, as a new author that doesn't really know what you should be looking at, it can be super overwhelming. And so that's yeah. you know part of the reason why I created this, to at least try to alleviate some of that overwhelm. All right. I'm not going to make our listeners wait anymore. <laughs> I feel like we've, <laughs> they're probably <laughs> listening right now saying, get on with it already. What's, what's on the list? All right. So. Question number one, what are their company values? So tell us a little bit about this. So when it comes to company values, when you're publishing your book, it's a big decision, right? I feel like you can probably equate it to maybe purchasing a new car where you want to make sure that you're getting something that is directly in alignment with who you are and and what you actually need. And a lot of these predatory publishers don't really have any criteria for what they will or will not publish. So if your values are in alignment where you believe in equality for everybody, or you believe in women's women's rights or any number of things, right? Like, so that's something that you hold value. It could be something about environmentally friendly practices, sustainability. It, there's so many ways that this can go. If that is a commitment that you're making where you like, I personally, our company is a B Corp, right? And so we have made a public Mm -hmm. declaration that we are going to treat every process that we have in an environmentally friendly way, in a sustainable way. So that's Mm -hmm. something that I'm committed to on a personal level. When I'm looking to do business with other people and vendors, I'm paying attention to what are their practices and and the, the impact on our, just our global you know, just, I don't, I'm not going to go on this. I hear you. I hear you. Right. So are they committed to environmental sustainability, exactly. diversity? The environment, I'm looking right? at so, your list here. Yeah. So we want to make and, sure yeah, there's just a match. That's great. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. if somebody is doing terrible things where they don't care about how much maybe paper they're using, or they have just really just out of alignment practices, then mm-hmm. you don't want to be working with somebody who you find out later is publishing books that are completely in opposition to what you believe, because you don't want to have your book aligned under that right. same house. Yeah. Like you don't want to be going with a publisher and and, you know, this is the tricky thing, too, because they won't admit this, right? But there are so-called publishers out there that will publish a book by anyone with a checkbook. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think you can kind of tell if you just look at the catalog of what they're, of what they've got and ask yourself, like, is there real market viability here? Like, is, is this book teaching some, you know, offering something unique or is it just a book that like somebody said, I want to write a book on this. And they just said, okay, give me $25,000 and I'll publish it. Right. (laughs) And I I think that you can tell when you look at the catalog, if it's Mm -hmm. actually added to the conversation, or is it just, you know, clearly just somebody wants to tell you about their amazing life. Yeah. (laughs) So there's the independent book publishers association, and they're the ones that put Mm. out the criteria of what it means to to be able to call yourself a hybrid publisher. And one of their criteria points is what you were just talking about of, Mm. is there cohesion within the catalog? Because it Mm -hmm. is a telltale sign. If somebody's doing romance, a cookbook and a leadership book, 
that, you know, and there are publishers that can absolutely find that balance, but it's how yeah. it's presented too. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, do you really want your book on leadership next to an erotica book on the publisher's website? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Talk about positioning. That just gives right. a whole other meaning. Okay. <laughs> Enough of that. All right. All right. So now, question number two. What, so actually, this is perfect. What kind of publisher are they? So we just talked a little bit about hybrid. So let's talk about this. So there's self-publishing service provider, vanity press, or hybrid publisher. So maybe tell our listeners a little bit about some of these key distinctions, because this is so important and so few people understand this. Yeah. So I have, I actually have a whole webinar on this because it's that oh, I bet. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'll give you the abridged version, but and basically please okay. give us the link and we'll put it in the, we'll put it on the blog post for the episode too. So people oh, can get to it. Thank you. Yeah. I very much appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So if we look at the landscape of publishing options, right, you have the traditional publishing on one side, you have self-publishing all the way on the other side. So those two are the extremes, but then there's this whole wide middle of hybrid publishers, publishers, self-publishing service providers, vanity presses, and a, a whole other litany of, you know, who knows what they would call themselves. And so when we look at that, it's first understanding what publishing path makes sense for you. That's kind of the most, mm-hmm. most important thing. But when we look at it kind of on a sliding scale, I don't even want to put hybrid, I mean, um, vanity presses into the mix because they're they are the root of all of the problems in this industry, but yeah. they're in there, unfortunately. And so mm-hmm. when we look at hybrid publishers, hybrid publishers, to me, are that very beautiful middle ground where you get the services, the expertise, the quality, the best practices, the strategy, all of the things that you would expect that a traditional house would do for you. But you're paying expenses that are more in alignment with what you'd be paying if you're trying to do it on your own. A lot of times people save money because they're not making mistakes that are costing them. Right. Right. So there's that. But what happens is that a lot of times there's hybrid publishers, again, like my company, that are being compared against vanity presses. And a vanity press is really kind of what it sounds like, where it's just a vanity thing. So they will take any type of They'll take any manuscript. They will make you feel so good about your work when they haven't even looked at it. Like it's all very much a, it's very much a sales kind of a sales scheme. And you can, like, I've even had conversations with a few just to see what it would like the experience would be. And it feels slimy and just doesn't feel good. So I feel like even in just a conversation, if your instincts and your intuition, your gut are like, I don't, there's just something that doesn't feel right. Please honor that because that certainly can prevent you from going down one of these paths. So that's kind of like the options that are there. I know, but I want to point out something though, because, because what I have seen is that a lot of vanity presses label themselves hybrid Mm -hmm. publishers. And Jen, I know like before we spoke, right. When I heard you you were a hybrid publisher, (laughs) I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And I said to my team, I said, I need to get on the phone with her because- I need to find out if she's a true hybrid publisher yeah. or if she's, you know, I didn't know you yet. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and I'm like, I can't have her on my podcast <laughs> if she's <laughs> a vanity press. And, and I want to share with our listeners a couple of things that really showed me, first of all, your, your fees are very reasonable for the work that needs to happen and well within, you know, a reasonable range that I'm sure enables you to keep the doors open and enables the authors to get excellent work. And then the other thing is that your royalty ratio is immensely fair. Mm-hmm. Is it okay if I share? Absolutely. What you took? Yeah. So, so you're giving the author 85% exactly. of the sales and your company is only taking 15%. Mm-hmm. 
which again, understand listeners that, you know, a traditional publisher is not going to give you anywhere near 85% or even 15% (laughs) of your book sales. So it really is a tremendous fair arrangement. What I often see with these these same hybrid presses that are charging $25,000, $40,000 just to edit and package your book and, you know, Mm -hmm. supposedly launch it, which is a whole nother episode. Um, (laughs) But But then they're going to take royalties as if you were with a traditional house. So they're going to give, they're going to take 90% or more of your book sales and give you this tiny itty bitty royalty on top of charging you tens of thousands of dollars to produce your book. And so, but they're going to call themselves a hybrid press. So again, so important, but understand like, just because they say they're a certain kind of publisher, it's only the contract that's going to tell you what kind of publisher they really are. Oh, so let's so write. Beautiful. So beautifully right. said. Oh, I love that. I love that phrase. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So let's get to, let's get to number three. Do they have successful and happy authors? So what would you say constitutes a successful and happy author? Like, how do you know your authors are successful and happy? Well, you know, what's an interesting way to think of it this way is Number one, I know with my company, like we do everything in our power to make sure that our authors have a happy and successful experience because it is so common that authors do not have that experience. And again, it's after the contract is signed, it's down the road, you don't realize what you've done until it's too late. And one thing that any, I would encourage everyone to do is just go to Google, type in the name of the company that you're speaking to and type in scam, review, Any of those words (laughs) and the internet will tell you what you need to know. So go go type publisher purpose press and scam. You're not going to find a single thing, but there are many, many companies again, that do consider call themselves hybrid because we should also note for vanity presses, they don't call themselves a vanity press like that. That's like, that is like language that everyone knows. Right. right. Yes. But they don't want us calling them that. No, no, they Mm -hmm. don't. Right. And and we're not going to mention any, but we we have smart listeners, so they can probably figure this out. Yeah. So just go type in scam into Google and see what comes up. There's a couple Mm -hmm. of them out there that have entire websites dedicated to how horrible they are. And it's not just one or go to the Better Business Bureau because it's Mm. not just one author. There's class action lawsuits everywhere in publishing. So it's very easy to find them just by typing in, you know, typing in a name. And so, you know, you could ask them like, Hey, can I speak to a couple of your recent authors? You know, I have that asked of me all the time and I'm always happy to connect them because I know that our authors are going to be just as good salespeople as I would be because we go to great lengths to make sure that they've had a great experience. So, you know, just let Google do the work, just type in scam, Mm. type in review, you'll find what you need to know. And you'll, you might be disappointed or disenchanted with what you do find because it will be overwhelming and it will be a lot. So just, I would give yourself some space to kind of process because it might feel like a dream has just been like, you know, like the balloons just been popped in your face. So you might, you know, just want to acknowledge that it, it, it might be an emotional process while you're doing that too. And though, I think that it's so important to recognize that it, it's a lot less painful because that balloon's going to burst at some point, mm-hmm. but it's a lot less painful when it bursts, when you still have the 40 K in the bank. Yeah. Or it's not, a, it's not at a debt. It's not a debt on your credit card. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I really think now, now see the price is going up because I'm thinking about all the little add-ons, uh-huh. right? Yeah. One of my favorites is we're going to get you distribution to bookstores. Can't with us. Um, you want to tell them what that really is? Because if not, I will, but go ahead. I, 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 I want to I hear you go first. <laughs> well, <let's>, so <laughs> That's when they say, like, we're going to get you distribution to bookstores. And what, what they really mean, because nobody can get you distribution to a bookstore. The bookstore has to, has to find your book in a, in a catalog and say, oh, I want to order that book. And usually those books are found because the publisher has a sales team mm-hmm. <laughs> that goes to the buyer of the, from the bookstore and says, here's our new books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But when they, a lot of times when they're saying, you know, these vanity presses are saying, we'll get you distribution. What that means is they're going to fill out a form with Ingram or Baker and Taylor Mm -hmm. or both. Mm -hmm. And they're going to say, Hey, this book is available for purchase and you can purchase it. We want to put it on Baker and Taylor or Ingram Mm -hmm. so that if a bookstore finds the book and wants to order it and put it on the shelf, they can. So I've, I've seen some of these hybrid presses charge as much as like eight or $10,000 to quote, get you distribution. And really what all they've done is fill out a couple of forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those forms that you speak of are just by default. What, what is part of the process with what exactly. we do? Like it's just, exactly. it should just, like, yeah. why wouldn't you just do that? Right. And like, why would, why would you charge someone for that? When anybody, by the way, anybody with an ISBN number can fill out that form, you know, with, which is a little barcode number that, that we use to scan a book. So, so we can, so book scan can get that it was purchased. Mm-hmm. Anybody with that code can fill out that form. Yeah. So it yeah. doesn't, uh, including the author, by the way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, I mean, that's another way. Okay. So speaking of, let's talk about number four. What are their company processes? So tell us about that one. Yeah. So when it comes to company processes, there are companies that are kind of just like a big facade where they're not really, it might be one person who is claiming to have like all of these people and this infrastructure and this team. But the reality is that it's just being disseminated to a dozen different vendors and contractors in a bunch of different places, none of whom actually know the other. And Mm. so that can be a really tricky part. When we think about processes, because you know, sometimes with some of these publishers, you're not even assigned a project manager. You're assigned an account manager. And an yes. account manager is different than someone who's managing the minutia of your project and coordinating and orchestrating and making sure everyone's on the same page. And you know, if you have this conversation with this editor, making sure that that information translates to the next round of editing that you're doing with the next person. And so a lot of times they're very disconnected and disjointed, which creates a very overwhelming experience for an author who now feels like they have to project manage on top of having paid for somebody to project manage this. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. And, and, you know, account manager, you can even tell in the title, right. That it is clearly about the account, Mm -hmm. AKA the money and not about the product so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that coordination is, is so important. Yeah. That's really what All most right. people are yeah. paying for with, with a good mm-hmm. publisher is really pay. Yeah. Like the project yeah. management is really where I think the large value, in addition to obviously expertise and whatnot, but yes. I think that's the big value that a, a strong publisher brings to the table is the project management. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, and, and this is where working with a true hybrid press or a really good book packager, which, mm-hmm. you know, we send our, our clients who want to self-publish to a really good book packager mm-hmm. that because then you don't, there's no reason for you to learn 
how to get an ISBN number or how to file a copyright registration or how to get your book, you know, how to get your book up on Amazon or, Mm -hmm. or how to, you know, I mean, so many things, right. That, you know, how to tell if your book is laid out properly. I mean, these things should all be handled by people who do it a lot and not a first time author, or he might never need to do it again. So it it really is important. Yeah. It is. And you have the, the adage of you have a one chance to make a good impression or a first impression or whatever the thing is like the last thing you want to be doing is having a book that's putting out a bad first impression. And when you're doing it on your own without oh. the right guidance, that is, that's exactly what happens, unfortunately. Yeah, I saw a book by a gentleman who has incredibly good information that he, you know, self-published. But and I'm not sure like what, you know, whether it was what kind of press it was. But when I saw, first of all, in the layout, the words went all the way down into like mm-hmm. into the spine. Yeah. There was no, there was no middle gutter, you know, for space. He was, they had him use three colors at the beginning of every chapter. So that, that took his print costs through the roof. And this person did not have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't, it was so sad. And I mean, it was unreadable because you can't enjoy reading a book where the the words on page three are literally touching the words on page four. Yeah. I mean, and I just, and there was all kinds of great information in there. And I just felt so badly for him. I even, you know, told the person who showed me the book, I said, you know, you tell him if he wants this fixed, I can mm. probably get him a good deal to yeah. fix it, you know, but it's, it's still, it's not going to be free, unfortunately. And, yeah. you know, it really sucks, but and that's, you know, that's the thing that just makes you so sad. It makes me so sad anyway when I see. Yeah, me as well. And and the other thing that I think that we're touching on without saying is there's also an accessibility issue with books that are not done right. So there's so many people that have different visual mm-hmm. impairments that maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they rely on a screen reader that can certainly kind of help that. But there are plenty of people who might just have, you know, sight problems, right? And so they need that gutter then those margins to be accurate in order for them to actually be able to read your book. So by having a book that's not properly set up, you're actually alienating a large potential population of people who could be otherwise reading your book. Yeah. And, and even if it's readable and there's something else, there's a subconscious thing that happens. And I think this can be especially damaging to experts who are authors is, you know, if you're reading a book and, and the interior isn't laid out, right. You know, because another thing is like the top line changes position. <laughs> so sometimes it lines up, sometimes it's higher than the other or lower. And so these kinds of things, it signals the reader. And here's the problem. The reader doesn't know what they're looking at, but they know something's off. And so it signals them something's off, something's wrong here. And since they don't know interior layout, they don't know what it's supposed to look like. Guess what they're going to decide is wrong. The content. Yes. All of it. Yeah. The the author, there's something off. Mm -hmm. So it can be particularly damaging in some ways when it's subtle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because then they're like, oh, I don't, I just, I'm just not vibing with this. Something about it makes me feel funny. I see this people all the time, all that, almost exactly how you just phrased it all the time that like, they don't know what's wrong, but they know something's wrong. And that's all you need to know to not do that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They're going to blame it on you. Not, you know, mm-hmm. not, not because they're being mean, but just because they don't know any better. Okay. So now I don't think, did we talk about how they're going to treat your manuscript? We did not. Or, Cause I'm okay. Cause yeah, we, okay. So how are they going to treat your manuscript? Now this is where you're talking about the editing process and word count and stuff like that. So you want to. 
Yeah. So here's where I have seen, well, here, one of the big red flags, right? Is if you're having a conversation again with that prospective publisher. And one of the first questions, it's not to say somebody should not ask how many words your manuscript is, because that is relevant, of course, to the conversation. But if that's what they're leading with, what they're doing is calculating in their mind how much value you are bringing to their sales funnel. Mm. So if they, if my first question is, Hey, Robin, like, you know, we're having a conversation. So uh, how many words is your manuscript? And you say it's 50,000 words. I might be like, Ooh, this is good. Like I'm now calculating money in my head of like, okay, so if it's 50,000 words and we're going to be able to get her for five cents a word after this point, and then like they're calculating all of like the ways you make the money, or it could be the reverse where you say, uh, 7,000 words, then they're like, mm, this is going to be worth my time. So it's all hmm. in like, and I, I've talked to so many authors where they're like, I don't understand why that was like the first question they asked me. I'm like, that is like one of the last questions that I ask people because it's not hmm. like, it's relevant when you're preparing, like how we're going to work together, but that is by far not how you should be kicking off. So I share that because there's right. a larger context to that. Yeah. Okay. I got you. And, and I, cause I, I agree. Like at some point you do have to ask that. I totally see it should not be the first question. That's for sure. But we definitely, like I ask people that, like if they say I they have too, a script, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I say, okay, well, because sometimes if it's too short, it's not really a book. Mm-hmm. It's a booklet, but it's not a book. <laughs> There's even sometimes layout issues, right? Mm-hmm. Right. If it's too long, like nobody will want to read it probably. Mm-hmm. If it's too short, like you can't, there's certain kinds of spines you get. Like you can't have a spine if it's too, you know, if it's, certain, yep. it's really short. So there are definitely legitimate reasons, but I yeah. agree with you. Uh, definitely not a lead question. No, because I think it shows that they're reading from a script. Like it feels mm-hmm. very scripted of like what the, because they're sitting there with a, with some kind of document in front of them, filling in the information they need in order to send you a contract. And so the bigger application, oh, is, right? Like if you think about it, you're like, okay, I need the word count. I need to know that maybe they do or don't know what trim size they want. I need to right. like, there's like certain, of course, like we need, again, we need that information as well. And I do ask it, but when you're mm-hmm. starting off, because you're just kind of checking boxes of like, okay, what other information do I need? When the conversation right. should start off with, Hey, Robin, tell me about your book. How right. did you get here? Like what, you know, mm-hmm. what's inspiring you to do it now? Like to get people really talking, because that's when you can figure out how you can best serve them is when you have insight as to why they're doing this to begin with. Mm-hmm. But yeah. back to the, how they'll treat your manuscript question that, you know, where I feel like we keep going down rabbit holes, which are beautiful. <laughs> um, but what happens in the contract is that, and we have this in our contract too. So I'm not saying like, this is not how they should be. But what happens is that like in ours, we have like a, if you're, so if we agree that your manuscript's going to be 50,000 words, if you send us something that is now 90, that is a big discrepancy from an editing standpoint, a typesetting standpoint, et cetera. So in ours, we say it's like a 5,000 discrepancy plus or minus. So as long as Uh you're somewhere within that general range, 45 to 55, we're in good shape. Beyond that, most of the time, it has to be very egregious for us to even consider adding any additional charges. Like it has to be really egregious. It has to be like a 50,000 to like 130,000. But what happens in these contracts is that it'll say you get this amount for your word count and any number over that, you are Mm -hmm. now paying X amount per word over. And then that hits you in the editing phase because a lot of times they'll have the editors who are working. And and it's not to say there's anything wrong with editors working based on word. That's totally fine and somewhat uh, standard. But when you're being charged for every time that you've rewrote something or (coughs) 
what can happen is that they'll say, like, I actually talked to somebody recently where I think she had 12 chapters of her book written and she wanted to add two more chapters in and they just flat out said no. They were like, you absolutely can't do that. And so there should be a process in place to say, okay, you're going to add two new chapters in, which yes, absolutely is going to impact some level of the production here. It's going to change timelines. It might change editing because two chapters is a big thing to be adding into the mix. But if your publisher has you centered in this conversation as the author, they're going to work with you to figure out how do we actually make that work? How do we be able to add your two chapters without breaking your bank, but making sure that we're still getting compensated for what we're doing for you? Whereas some will just say like, no. And that addition of those two chapters might make or break your whole premise of what your book is. And so there needs to be like processes around these types of things for them to not just be kind of treating your manuscript as something that can be easily discarded. Yeah, I agree. And I want to clarify too, though, because we are talking about someone who's calling themselves a publisher, right? So a traditional publisher or a true hybrid press, definitely everything you're saying, like it's, it should be a collaboration. It mm-hmm. should be like, we're, we're coming to this agreement together. I do believe, however, if you're working with a straight book packager, you're self-publishing, you know, they're not taking any royalty. This is, you're paying for editorial services. You're paying for them to lay it out, design it, help you print it out, whatever. Mm-hmm. That of actually, yes, because that, that's, they need to charge you more. They need to know the word count so they can give you a bid. Mm-hmm. And because, the, but they're not taking anything after you've paid that fee. Correct. <laughs> and so that's the distinction. I want to really make sure, because I don't want some very, I don't want a reputable book packager or anybody who helps people self-publish get criticized for asking what the word count is. Because yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. in, that, in those cases, it will be one of the early questions so that they can help you figure out how much you're going to invest in the process. Yep. But, but anyone who calls themselves a publisher, certainly traditional publisher or a legitimate hybrid press. And again, you're right. The vanity press is like the root of all evil where they're going to... <laughs> <laughs> they ruin it for everybody. They right? really do. And, then, and they're gonna and they're gonna be nickel and diming you. Actually, they're gonna be dollar for dollaring you for yeah. all those, you know, any additional words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So now this is a really important one, number six. Mm-hmm. Asking this question: what are my rights as an author? Mm, this is a big, big one. Huge. Because there are so many ways that rights can be broken out within publishing broadly. So you can have worldwide rights, you can have English speaking rights, you can have audiobook rights, you can have rights to movies, documentaries, any like any assortment of different scenarios. And when you are working like with the traditional publishers, most of the time they are taking rights to a whole litany of things. But at the same time, you have not paid them there's caveats to this. Majority, right? You're, you're not, you have, they're doing the lion's share of the, the services performed, right? Yeah. And they're taking all the risk. Exactly. The risk. That's exactly yeah. it. And so when we're talking about hybrid, hybrid publishers, there's an array, like there's, a, there's an assortment. Like we, you know, we, I basically explain it to authors as we're essentially licensing the rights to publish your book. You Which are also still, traditional publishers do. So traditional publishers do the same. 
And I think that's what makes sense. And so we Mm -hmm. take, you know, we're not focused on having every single right for every single thing. So we actually have in our contracts, it really kind of carved out that says that if you take like if you take this to create a docuseries or, you know, some kind of film or that we do not maintain any of that because that is not ours. That is not ours is how I Mm -hmm. see it. And so there are other hybrid publishers. Like I even have a couple of friends of mine that uh, also do publishing and there's one that kind of has the rights to everything, but then they're going out and shopping around those rights in foreign countries and in different formats. And so that's different. I, I will be honest and say, I have no desire to be going to Frankfurt and shopping around (laughs) rights, none whatsoever. So why would I hold those if I'm not going to do anything that's going to value benefit the author? And I just want to throw in, so like with, because we work mostly with traditionally published authors. Mm -hmm. So in the traditional scenario, what happens is the publisher can just buy the rights that they can buy the license to publish the book. But also the agent will often also put on the table, do you want the audible rights? Mm-hmm. Do you want the ebook right? Do you want the global, you know, do you want, do you want certain countries, the rights to sell it in certain countries? Do you want global rights? And then the publisher can take all those rights if they, but that, that has increased the author's advance mm-hmm. on royalties. Mm-hmm. And then the, then the publisher can take those rights and resell them or you know, just garner more profits, like, so they can like resell foreign rights. And then, and then they can also get more royal, you know, more sales Mm -hmm. through audible and eBooks. But again, they're compensating the author for those rights. And I think that's the difference. Cause I think you said it perfectly. The the traditional publisher carries all of the risk, absolutely Mm -hmm. every bit of it. And so that is their business model. And as long as you know that going into it, you're okay. And then for mm-hmm. the tradition, for the hybrid side, or again, those vanity presses, you know, vanity presses are going to take everything that they can get just to take it to then go sue you when you try to do something different with it. And I think that's the challenge too, is that you would imagine like, okay, I just paid this company to do this thing <laughs> for me. Why the hell would they have any, anything to do with this film that I'm creating? You would just assume uh-huh. that that's not there. But again, if you didn't read the contract, You wouldn't know that you gave that away when you signed that line, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I also want to point out that you have to be very careful with certain traditional publishers where they will have a clause in their contract that says you are signing over a copyright. And I'm, I want all of our listeners to hear, I'm I'm sure you're nodding. I see you nodding your head, Jen. (laughs) It is highly unusual in the legitimate publishing industry for any author to ever be asked to sign away their copyright. What you are signing it's a license to publish your copyrighted material. So that is a big one. And really, when you sign away your copyright, you're not just signing away your right to the book. You're signing away your ability to teach that material in any format, anywhere you want. And if your business is tied to your book, that could literally put you out of business. Yeah. It's so shady. There's so much, so mm-hmm. much. <laughs> I have so much to cover. And we're only on number six. Okay, so don't sign away your copyright. Never. No who you're signing with. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the fine print. Now we, we touched upon the fine print already. So we talked about like people don't like to read it mm-hmm. and they tend to assume. Is there anything that we didn't touch upon that we can, that we can add as it's number seven? You know, there is because what I would say the big thing to be looking for in the fine print, in addition to all the other things that we've emphasized, is 
the control, how do you get out of the contract? Should you ever want to? Mm. That is a mm-hmm. big kind of thing to think about. It's not that you want to go into a relationship thinking, how am I going to get out of the relationship? But when something goes wrong, what is your legal recourse as the author in this scenario? And the, what I have seen as one of the most common practices, and I, I don't want to say there's judgment, whether it, it is what it is. This is not how we do it, but it is what it is, is that a lot of times a publisher is going to charge some fee to get your files back from them, if they'll let you out of the contract at all. Sometimes mm. they'll just say like, you're you're kind of stuck here, then you have to bring legal action to them to get them to let you out of it. And eventually they always, they always will let you out of it, but they, they'll make it difficult. Mm-hmm. But what you wanna be thinking about is what are they gonna charge you to get your files back? Like, how, what does that look like? How does that work? Because sometimes what they'll charge you to get the files is the same price, if not more than what you paid to get the book published to begin with. Right. Or like if you just took your Microsoft Word manuscript and started with a new layout designer and a new cover designer and just started from scratch. Mm -hmm. Which would probably be less expensive in many ways. Yes. Probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I was thinking about with this is because I have also spoken with authors who got into these kind of situations where the publisher then got into financial trouble or went bankrupt and never produced their book and they still couldn't get their, they couldn't get their rights back. So their book was literally held hostage for years. I, yeah, I, I had a, a number of authors that we, that we have worked with or do work with who we've helped them take their book mm. from another publisher who was going out of, wow. going out of business or because they had a class action suit against them and basically just kind of turned it over to like, you know, get the new ISBN, get a new, like just update all of the things. But it has it is never an easy task to get those files from people. So, you know, part of our practice is that any author at any time that we work with could say, hey, can I have my files? And we'll share the Dropbox link. It's like, they're all yours. Like, you mm-hmm. own them as much as we do. Just we yeah. ask you kindly not to mess with them because you're only going to cause <laughs> chaos. That's not <laughs> Please don't edit them. Yeah, just leave them be. Without downloading them first. <laughs> yes. yes, do not go publishing them elsewhere. Like, ask us right. first. Like, right. we can collaborate yeah. on this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Oh, now here's, this is so big. This is so, so Mm. big. This is the biggest one of all. Mm -hmm. All right. So number eight, do they have a minimum number of books that an author must buy? All right. So talk to us. This is the biggest one. So when friends of mine say, hey, we look at my contract, this is the first thing that I laser focus on Mm -hmm. because this is the first mark that you are going to get screwed over eventually. And so what happens is that there are publishers out there, again, it's really the vanity presses, where instead of you... I'm not going to name names, but it's not only vanity presses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's actually a a couple of very Mm -hmm. well-known, used to be in high regard that I feel like is falling. They're falling from grace right now. That's right. So Mm -hmm. all we can say is read the contract, continue, no matter who it's about. (laughs) And go type in for reviews in Google. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yes. Uh, yeah. I actually had a, a, I had a conversation. Don't assume just because it's traditional that there's nothing shady in the contract. Yeah. <clears throat> Very good point. Okay. Very good yeah. point. So what I see often, and I had this happen just recently where I run a, an author lab on Facebook that just kind of gives people guidance and direction. It's a workshop that I do free a mm-hmm. bunch of times a year. And oh in God. it, somebody was asking, just said like, Hey, I have this contract from this publisher uh, who mm-hmm. shall remain nameless. Will you take a look <laughs> at it and just tell me, because they had heard me talking about like, pay attention to the fine print. 
And I looked at it and I was like, okay, I just want you to be, to see and be clear. They are charging you $3,000 to publish your book, which on the surface to you, I know looks like a good deal. However, when we actually look down to section, I think it was like a section H here's the, here's where you're going to get in trouble. And so the, uh, the typical calculation is that the author will buy the book from the publisher at 50% of the retail price. Easy math, retails for $20. You're buying it from them for 10 bucks. Fine. It's like, that seems like easy math. That's kind of pretty, pretty standard. We sell ours at, at cost, but that's a whole other story. From there, the minimum might say, well, in order for this book to be published, then you need to order at least a thousand copies. Sometimes that's actually 2,000 copies. I see or it as two. 2,000. Oh, yeah. Yes. Including, yes, I can think of someone specifically who's asking for 2,000. And now let's look, copies. let's look at the economics of that for a second, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's $10 a copy from you. You have to buy at least a thousand, sometimes two. That is now ten to $20,000 in inventory that you now have to purchase before they will even put your book live in the distribution places that they should be doing it. So what you thought mm-hmm. was costing you $3,000, you are like, yes, this is a great deal, has now actually cost you thirteen dollars or $23,000. And it's inventory that now you have to move, which it's not to say you can't recoup that investment because if you have the right strategy, you should be out there selling those books. But it's because the publisher is treating you as the end reader of your own book rather than helping you reach the end reader outside of you. So it's again, it's that whole double dipping type of scenario. Exactly. And it's like, if I mean, listen, let's get real here. If you're self-publishing your book and you buy a thousand copies of your own book, you're probably going to spend around Mm -hmm. $3,000 on your books. So if, and if it, so, so it really, it's a huge difference. And, you know, and then there's other, I mean, listen, there's, there's ways that you can pre-sell books. You can get commitments where you can move those books, but you know, if, and, and it can be a legitimate deal. So it's, it's interesting because there's, but it shouldn't be in the contract. Like you have to, as like a matter of doing business, it's the kind of thing that could be a negotiation point, Mm -hmm. right? Where maybe you say, yeah, well, I'm going to, you know, I'd rather have more of an advance, but I have these commitments where I already know I'm going to sell this number of books. Yeah, And, you know, so there's, it's interesting, but when it's sneaky, that's the thing. When it's just like in there in the fine print and it's like, oh yeah. And by the way, you have to buy 2000 copies of your own book. Yeah. Because that conversation doesn't happen until they're like seconds from going live. And you as the author have created all this marketing promotion. And they're like, oh, by the way, like, you know, here's the invoice for your 2000 copies. And they're like, what the hell? Like, they're so confused as to what that invoice is for. And then you look at the fine print and it is black and white and very clear. And then you have no recourse at that point because you signed the contract. And this is what really I feel like breaks my heart on a regular basis because it's the lower price point vanity presses that are really the ones that are the most predatory because it'll look like, Mm. oh, they're only going to charge me $500 to publish my book. And they think that they're like a hero for getting this great Mm. deal, but Mm -hmm. really it's actually cost them over 20,000 to do it. I'd rather you just pay the 20,000 for the right services and not have any. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is the underhandedness. It's the making it look like you're getting something that and then it's different. And again, and and this is actually, I want to throw in here because it's not only important to ask these questions. I strongly encourage anybody who comes to me and asks me about their book contract. You know, I'm not an attorney. You're not an attorney. (laughs) And 
you know, either you, if you're going with the traditional publisher, you should be working with a literary agent who can negotiate on your behalf. So if the publisher wants you to buy back books, fine, but they're going to give up something for that, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to give you something more upfront or whatever it is. Or there are attorneys, right, who specialize in in publishing contracts. Mm -hmm. And it's a really smart idea, even if you're working with the most reputable publisher in the world, you know, they've done tens of thousands of book deals. You've done one. (laughs) And and you should have someone who, who also has done thousands of book deals who can understand what they're actually offering you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we have somehow made it to number nine. We have I have to say, like. Pat yourself on the back. Absolutely. Because, oh my God. How did we get through nine in such a short time? We did. All right. So what is your royalty arrangement? I know we've touched on this, but I want to hear, you know, from you. Let's talk about how do we, how, do, how should we be looking at a royalty arrangement to understand if it's fair, whether or not it's fair? I think there's the, the question of fairness. And then there's the question of the actual payout process. So in the mm. fairness, I think we talked a little bit. Oh, about. yes. Okay. Brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. Good. So on the fairness side, right, like you just want to just be comparing apples to apples, looking for something that feels equitable. If you're paying a higher amount upfront, it should be a lower, a lower percentage. If you're paying hardly anything, it's going to be a higher percentage. Like, so just that seems somewhat- It's kind of a risk reward, right? Like totally. the more risk the publisher is taking, the lower your royalty should be, right? Mm-hmm. That's just fairness. Enough. They're making yeah. the bigger investment. They should get the bigger reward. On the other hand, if you're taking most of the risk or the lion's share of the risk, then the publisher's reward should be com- mm-hmm. you know, commensurately low, which is why yeah. I love your model, right? Because the author, you know, the author's taking the, the bulk of the risk. So- mm-hmm you in fairness are, are asking for a much smaller royalty, which is, which is fair. Yeah. Okay. Continue. Yeah. So now the other thing is the payout process, right? So Mm. every publisher operates differently. And I don't necessarily think that there's any one right or wrong way to do it. Some publishers will pay out monthly, some pay out quarterly, some pay out every six months, some are annually. That's all well and good. And you you choose whatever, you know, the company, the publisher themselves has to pick what makes the most sense. One, as the author, you just need to know that. So you need to know going into it that you're not going to see royalties for your books until six months later or a year later. And again, that's not to say there's anything right or wrong with that, but you want to just know that going into it. And two, you want to just make sure that they have a solid track record of paying said royalties, because this <laughs> is where there's a lot of class action lawsuits. So if you just poke around mm. on the internet for a bit, you can find a lot of this information. And so it's typically when one author is like, I haven't been paid my royalties for whatever period of time. No one's listening to them. They take it to social media. They find some another author who works with the same publisher and says, I didn't get mine either. And then all of a sudden they're all together and they're coming after the publisher to actually get what is owed to them. I don't understand wow. personally from just an accounting standpoint, how you <laughs> like how you don't have the money to actually just pay your authors. What like we have a separate account where all the royalties go in and all. Right. The royalties out. <laughs> it's just it's not right. it's not rocket right. science. So <laughs> It's just something to pay attention yeah. to, because there's a lot out there that there's, you know, situations where authors are just not getting paid on any consistent basis, if at all. And then again, like as the author, do you really want to be focusing on having to go hire a lawyer to go track them down to get your payment? And it just, it just seems like so much wasted energy. And they know that, right? Because they're not offering you a very good royalty 
anyway, most likely these vanity presses. And so it probably isn't worth it to go track it down, you know, especially if you're an expert with a thriving practice Mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, you're not going to go chasing 90 bucks a quarter. Yeah. Which is why they can get away with with a lawyer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's how they get you. I'm telling you. Well, I feel really good because I feel like not only do we get some not only do we get to vent, but we yes. <laughs> we got some really great wisdom out to our listeners. We did. Uh, Can I throw in my bonus tip in here? Because I find it to be a little bit comical and please. I think you will appreciate it. And I think oh, the listeners yes. will too. Oh, please. Yes. So my bonus tip is that when you are looking, and I have had this happen so many times that I included it as a bonus tip because I'm like, I don't understand how you are not paying attention But it's things like the word copyright and the word forward. Those are two words that are intrinsically linked to books. These are words that you, Robin, me, Jen, should know how to spell. So I find that. I find it to be a bit of a red flag when you go to a website and one of those two words, if not both, are spelled incorrectly. That's probably not a good sign. Yeah. And listen, we expect authors not to know how to spell them well, that, because totally. we often we often have to correct how authors spell them 100 percent. and However, that's okay someone <laughs> so someone is putting themselves forward as i'm an expert in book publishing mm-hmm. they should know how to spell copyright mm-hmm. and for word <laughs> that is correct yes it just it makes me laugh sometimes where i'm like wow especially on like facebook ads like i'll get a facebook ad for some fly-by-night thing and i'll go to the website and i'm like you didn't spell forward right come on like who are you convincing and like you said like it i i have zero judgment whatsoever for any author who does not know how to spell it because in some way like why would you that's fine it's but as an job. expert that is unacceptable <laughs> yeah that's our job. Right. Yes. All right, listeners. It's forward with an E, copyright with an R. <laughs> <laughs> and as in right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I have really enjoyed this conversation. This has been fun. <laughs> oh, me too, Jen. It's been such a pleasure having you. And we won't we won't reveal too much, but our listeners should know we will be having you back and we will be talking about something completely different. So but also very uh, fascinating. So thank you again for sharing with us today. And thank you listeners. And we'll see you next time on The Author's Corner. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.